You're in the seventh chapter. I said that kind of not knowing. <laughs> I think it's the seventh chapter of uh, Esther. I want to say thank you to uh, Pastor Brian and Pastor Jonathan and uh, David Hickey. I think Paul Allen taught, wasn't on this, but he taught while I was gone. I just want to thank all those guys for just stepping in. Church not missing a beat. This is Jesus' church. He, he rules and he reigns here. But I just want to say thank you to all you guys. It's nice to know I can go on vacation for a few weeks and the building's not going to fall in. <laughs> Glad to have a <laughs> oh, Bulldog fan. But thank you for your prayers and everything. It, it means a lot to me. We're in the seventh chapter of the book of Esther. I do remember when uh, Pastor Jonathan started off, he gave us the history and just some great information on it. So continue to try to remember those things as we go through this. Uh, I want to say Romans 15, chapter 15, verse 4, a favorite scripture of mine, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Even in the Old Testament, it's, it's, rain, it's, it's raising us up. It's training us to live godly. I think David taught on chapter 7, uh, the king couldn't sleep that night. And so he asked his men uh, for the record of the chronicles. And if you've ever been to... I, get, I understand what, what he asked for because I used to, as a little kid, go to Sunday school. And every time we would, before we would start Sunday school, they would read the minutes and tell you all the history of what happened. And that's the book that Ahasuerus, King Ahasuerus, asked for. Of all the books he could have asked for, he asked for minutes. And, uh, but God, as we know in the book of Esther, he's... Uh, superintending, his providence is unshakable, and he picked this book for Mordecai, for, for uh, a king, uh, Ahasuerus. But uh, the king hears what Mordecai did. He had told Bigthana, I, think, I guess that's his name, and Teresh, two, two of the king's eunuchs, the doorkeepers who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. And he finds out that nothing had ever been done for Mordecai on earth anyway. God knows your good deeds. I'm reminded of Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, where it says, For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. So whatever we do, whether we get patted on the back or a good job, God is a very good bookkeeper. He remembers all your good deeds. So the king Ahasuerus, he finds out what Mordecai had did, and he finds out also that they never rewarded him. And remember, it was at this time that Haman comes in. His head is so big, he could hardly make it through the door. But his head is swollen up. He thinks they are talking about him and how they should honor him, and it's comical. So the king, he asked Haman, and Haman, thinking that he was about to get a reward, 
It says this in Esther's chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. What shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought in his heart, whom, whom would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman answered the king, for the man whom the king delights to honor. He says, let a royal robe be brought, which the king has worn, and a horse on which the king has ridden, which a royal crest placed on his head. Then let this robe and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that he may array the man whom the king delights to honor. Then parade him on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. So Haman is so headstrong and he's so pompous that he thinks King Harris is speaking to him. And I could not help but to think of Psalms too because Haman, he's fighting against the Lord and he's doing all he can, whether he knows it or not. So I'm going to read this entire Psalm, Psalms 2. It says, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against the Lord for against his anointed. They still do that. The kings, political people in those high positions. And it also reminds me of Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 19, where it says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. So they're really kicking against the pricks like we know Saul did. But back to the Psalms 2, it says, saying, verse 3, let us break their, their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. Every politician needs to remember that verse. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled, but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Mordecai, Trust was in God. So things, we see things in chapter 7, they begin to start unraveling for Haman. And Haman doesn't even realize it. His hatred for Mordecai and his thirst for power and honor has him blinded, that he can't even see God's sovereign hand. And he's trying to, once again, like Paul, kick against the prick and it won't work. You would think, especially by what's about to happen, Mordecai would throw his hands up in the air and say, hey, I've tried all I can. Who am I fighting against where I can't get my will? And it reminds me, Haman reminds me of Wally the Coyote. As all you guys have been speaking 
I just kept thinking of Wally the Coyote. He tried his best. He would do everything to get the roadrunner, but he, it would always backfire against him. So Esther chapter 6, verse 13, 14 says this. You would think he would have woke up right here. When Haman told his wife, Suresh, and all his friends, everything that had happened to him, his wise men and his wife, Suresh, said to him, if Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is, all, is of Jewish descent, you will not prevail against him, but will surely fall before him. While they were still talking with him, the king's unit came and hastened to bring Haman to the banquet, which Esther had prepared. It also reminds me of Romans chapter 2, verses 2 through 5. It says this, but we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, will you escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness? God had waited for, Marty, uh, for uh, Haman to change his ways, but Haman just kept headbutting right against God. His goodness, his forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. But in accordance with your hardness and your impenitent heart, repentant heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. And that's what's going to happen to him. So Esther chapter 7 verse 1 says this, so the king and Haman went to dine with Queen Esther. This is Esther's second uh, banquet. Haman probably didn't have much uh, of anything to say at this time. And on the second day at the banquet of wine, the king again said to Esther, what is your petition, Queen Esther? Ahasuerus has been waiting now to find out what Esther has to say. So as the wine was served, he, he begins to broach the subject. It shall be granted to you, he says. And what is your request up to half the kingdom? This is just hyperbole. She wasn't going to get up to half of the kingdom. That was just something. He was going to be generous with her. And I want us to think of... Uh, Esther's faith right here. Even though Mordecai, Mordecai has been pushing her, trying to get her to do things, she finally says she would. But think of how much faith it took for her to go in and do what she does. Tell, tell him that she's a Jew and all of this. Verse 3 tells us, Then Queen Esther answered and said, If I have found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me at my petition and my people at my request. So she made it clear from the beginning that she was dependent on the favor of the king. And what she wasn't trying to tell him a lie or anything, verse 4 says, For we have been sold, my people and I, to be destroyed, to be killed, and to be annihilated. Had we been, and I love this, what she says, had we been sold as male and female slaves, I would have held my tongue, although the enemy could never compensate for the king's loss. So she's saying, if it wasn't such a drastic move that Haman has made, I wouldn't even bother you with this. But Haman is so cruel and he's so sinister, she has to do something. Verse 5 tells us, so King Ahasuerus answered and said to Queen Esther, who is he and where is he? 
Who would dare presume in his heart to do such a thing? And, and Esther said, the adversary, notice what she calls him, an adversary, because that's what Haman is. An enemy is the wicked Haman. So Haman was terrified before the king and queen. In the history of Xerxes, they would say he would just slaughter his men just because if they, if they would lose a battle, Xerxes didn't care. He didn't care how many men he would lose. The only reason I know this, I watched 300. <laughs> and I know I'm joking, but I did watch 300. But, I mean, even then, those guys were getting killed left and right. And he wasn't fighting, so they were expendable to him. And so he really doesn't care about human life. He thinks life is very cheap. So God was doing this, and he had to move King Harris's heart. It says in Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. And that's what God is doing. So verse 7 tells us, then the king arose in his wrath. And we know that's always trouble. The banquet of wine and went into the palace garden. I'm impressed at Ahasuerus right here. I thought he might have chopped off heads right there before he went into the garden, but he doesn't. He, he shows a little uh, of just coolness. So he goes and he's thinking of what he could do to get out of this mess. And that leaves Haman standing there with Queen Esther. But Haman stood before Queen Esther pleading his, for his life. For he saw that evil was determined against him by the king. He didn't see that. He didn't see evil when he used to get frustrated with Mordecai. He couldn't even do a good day's work without worrying about Mordecai. And then after he had paraded Mordecai around on his horse, you would think he would have given up. But now the hand of justice is moving and it's too late. And notice God, and like Jonathan and like... uh, Pastor Brian said, his name is never mentioned, God, Yahweh. But we know he's moving, the providence of God. I'm reminded of of a young lady who says, I don't feel God's presence. I'm not in any sin. God, I just don't feel his presence. And I told her, that's when God is growing your faith and growing your trust in him. You You don't have to hear him, and you might not feel him when you're praying or when you're singing a song, but he's there. He's promised always to be there. He said no weapon formed against us will prosper. And God is not doing this because Esther is a Jew, is part of the reason, and and Mordecai is a Jew, but he does this for all of his children. If we honor him, he's going to take care of us. It's way more important than just being a Jew, even though this is the scenario of this book right here. He is doing this because they are his children. And that's all you need to be, a child of God, and he will protect you. Verse 8 tells us, when the king returned from the palace garden, he probably smoked a cigarette. That's what you do, I guess, when you're all upset and all. I wouldn't know. I've never smoked before now. (laughs) When the king returned from the palace garden to the place of the banquet of wine, Haman had fallen across the couch where Esther was. What a scene. I would have loved to have seen that. 
what's going on here? Haman knows he's in trouble. Uh, Queen Ahasuerus, uh, bodyguards are in the room, but notice they don't make a move until he comes in. They're just watching this play out. Then the king said, he comes in, and I love what he says, will, will he also assault the queen while I'm in the house? As, <laughs> that's funny. As the word left the king's mouth, there they go, they covered Haman's face. Now, Harbana, one of the eunuchs, said to the king, and I just think just by knowing what I know, the little I know of Haman, that he wasn't a well-liked guy. Because this eunuch hurry up and pipes up and says, look, the gallows, 50 cubits high, which Haman made for Mordecai, who spoke good on the king's behalf, is standing at the house of Haman. Then the king said, hang him on it. Verse 10, so they hanged Haman on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. Then the king's wrath subsided. Psalms 37 verses 1 through 3 tells us, do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. That's what Haman is doing. That's what uh, Esther is learning to do. That's what we need to do. We talked about anxiety. Anxiety comes from not putting all your trust in the Lord knowing that he knows what's best, knowing that he has our back, knowing nothing is going to filter through his hand unless he allows it. And we know he's a good God, so we can trust in him, and we can just go on about our day's work. Galatians 6, 7 says this, be not deceived. That word deceived, uh, the, the Greek word is plano, and it's to cost to stray or to lead someone astray, aside from the right way. So it says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And then I got proof here in case you don't believe me. Jacob. God loved Jacob. But Jacob found this out when he put on Esau's clothes. Isaac smelled them and said, are you my son, uh, uh, Jacob, Esau? And they didn't have any. I wonder if he had any Old Spice or Axe, would that have helped? The <laughs> they said you could smell Jacob as he walked in a room. He smelled manly and like animals and stuff like that. But as soon as he was fooled, it may have taken years and this is why I'm saying this, Jacob, he loved his son. Uh, what was the smallest one's name, the youngest one's? Joseph. Well, you're right, but I'm speaking of Joseph. And remember, they take this animal and they dip his clothing in the blood of the animal and they take it to Jacob and say, hey, do you remember this? There it is. He reaps what he sows. Paul found this out also. Paul, it says when they were stoning Stephen, they were laying their coats at the feet of Saul. Saul was given the orders. And his first missionary trip, when he goes to Lystra, what did they do to Paul there? They stoned him. 
Paul was walking with the Lord. But you always reap what you sow. So we need to know this. It's the operation of the law. And we find that out here very easy. Psalms 37, 35 and 36 says this. One of my dad, my dad loved this Psalms. I don't know if people did him wrong all the time, but <laughs> he would quote this, this, these two verses. I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a green bay tree. Yet he passed away and lo, he was not. Yea, I sought him, but he could not be found. That's what is happening to Haman right now. So chapter eight, although we find out Haman is dead, the threat of death still hangs over the Jews. Because remember the law of the Mede and the Persian, whatever you wrote and you signed it, that law, all you could do is write another law to subside it, but you could not change that law. Verse one tells us, on that day, King Aharius gave Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews. They never throw blame to King Aharius, but he's the blame for this because he quickly signed anything Mordecai, uh, Haman would do, and he would quickly give his ring. If I had a ring that had all that authority, I wouldn't give it to anyone. I would keep it, but he, he didn't have a problem giving his ring out and letting people use it. And so this, they never tell him, and I don't blame him, he's still the king, but it was his doing also. And that's why I think he gives the house and the land to Esther, it says, and Mordecai came before the king for Esther had told how he was related to her. So they finally found out that Mordecai and Esther, he was her, he was her uh, father. Well, what's the word for it? Y'all are no help. Are y'all awake? Michael, what word am I trying to grasp here? He's not his father. Well, you could say stepfather or, or, or something like that, but he's not his, she's not his, he's not her father. And that's why I think Ahasuerus gives the property to uh, Mordecai here. Everything, because I know he's feeling bad about what he did. Without, so he just gives everything to Esther. Verse two, so the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther appointed Mordecai over the house of Haman. This was the first time Esther let it be known that Mordecai was his adopted father. The king, he was quite free giving that ring up. Like I said, if I was the king, I would keep the ring, but he didn't have any problem giving it to people. Verse three, now Esther spoke again to the king, fell down at his feet and implored him with tears to counteract the evil of Haman, the Agagite, and the scheme which he had devised against the Jews. Remember, nothing could be done about the charges. It had been sealed. It was in play. It could not be changed in any way, shape, or form. Even the king could not change the law. So that's why it was so important. And the reason they couldn't change it, Medo-Persians, they would think that they would hear from the gods or they would even be gods. 
And we know God doesn't make mistakes. So even if they write a bad law, if they say, okay, you can do this, and they want to change their mind, they can't because God, they are right about this. He makes no mistakes. So that's the pickle they're in with this. Daniel, I'm going to show you this also. Daniel 6.12, when Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, the king there, Xerxes, he did not want this to happen to Daniel but he could not change the law. And it says in, in verse 12 of chapter six of Daniel, and they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed, and this is what the people up front are doing. Have you not signed the decree that every man who petitions any God or man within 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, the thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. Down to Daniel 6, verse 14, it says, And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself, because he knew it was nothing he could do then. Daniel chapter 6, verse 20 through 22. And when he came to the den, Daniel has been in there all night, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me. So that shows you even though he wanted to change it, he could not change it. Back to uh, chapter 8, verse 4. And the king held out the golden scepter toward Esther, so Esther arose and stood before the king and said, if it pleases the king, now we know it does because God has given Esther favor with Aharius. And if I have found favor in his sight, think of how we approach our great high priest. We don't have to say if it pleases the king, if I found favor in your sight, we're already blessed. As Daniel would say, we're his beloved. He says that at least three times. We're his beloved. But notice how she goes in front of her husband, the king. Hebrews 4.16 tells us, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We can come boldly to our great high priest, we can tell him what's on our heart because he already knows and he longs for us to tell him what's going on in our lives. Help us solve problems and walk better with him. God is long-suffering. And if Esther can do this with King Aharius, how much more boldly should we go to our high priest Jesus Christ? It says, and I am pleasing in his eyes. Let it be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, which he wrote to annihilate the Jews who are in all the king's provinces. For how can I endure to see the evil that will come to my people? Or how can I endure to see the destruction of my countrymen? Esther couldn't do everything, but it was one thing she could do. She could stand in the gap. She could intercede 
And that's what Jesus does for us. And that's what we should do for our brothers and sisters. When people ask us to pray, we should intercede and and continue to storm the gates of heaven because God listens. Verse 7 tells us, Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and Mordecai the Jew, Indeed, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged them on the gallows because he tried to lay his hand on the Jews. Though Haman's degree could not be revoked, I said, his second degree supersedes it, and we're going to see that. Genesis 3, verses 16 through 17, this was a decree, sort of. After Adam blew it, he bummed out. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. We were doomed until the new covenant arrived. Another decree was wrote. But it wasn't, I don't want you to think it was Jesus. Oops, I messed up. What can I do? Because all of the Old Testament prophets, all of the, a lot of the uh, verses in the Old Testament, it for sees Jesus coming on the scene. But it still, they came up with a new plan, the new covenant. Romans 3, 21 through 26 says, but now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith, there it is in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. For there's no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely without a cause, by his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, God's righteousness, because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. The blood of bulls and goats could never cover our sins, Hebrews tells us. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just, because that's who he is, he's just, but he's also the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Back to Esther, verse 8, chapter 8. You yourselves, and this is a hazardous telling them what to do, you yourselves write a decree concerning the Jews as you please in the king's name. I don't know if the dude was lazy or he just admonished people, hey, you do it, you do it. But he didn't do much. In the king's name and seal it with the king's signet ring. For whatever is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's signet ring, no one can revoke. That's why they're having to write something else. Mordecai, he's the prime minister now, same as Haman was. Mordecai sits down and he begins to write. And he's got to protect and defend the Jews that are in these 127 provinces. And so they begin to write, and they're writing quickly. There was many people, like it is today, who hate the Jews, who hate people just because of their color. That's not going to change until Jesus comes. And now they're trying to defend the Jews here. And the new decree will allow the Jews to assemble and defend themselves, but they were not allowed to be the aggressors. It's a lot of uh, 
bad commentaries out there who says, yeah, they just pillaged and everything the Jews did, but they didn't take any property. They only fought when they were being, uh, when they were fighting against them. So I don't think that's true. Verse nine says, so the king's scribes were called at that time in the third month, which is the month of Sivan, which is May or, or June, May and June, on the 23rd day, and it was written according to all that Mordecai commanded to the Jews, the satraps, the governors, and the princes of the provinces from India to Ethiopia. That's a lot of country. 127 provinces in all to every province in its own script. That was, took a lot of work. That was 24-hour job. They had to do this quickly. To every people in their own language and to the Jews in their own script and language. Verse 10, and he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus, sealed it with the king's signet ring and sent letters by couriers on horseback, riding on royal horses bred from swift steeds. Verse 11, by these letters, the king permitted the Jews who were in every city to gather together and protect their lives, to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the forces of any people or province that would assault them, both little children and women, and to plunder their possessions. Verse 12, on one day in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, on the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adair, verse 13, a copy of the document was to be issued as a decree in every province and published for all people so that the Jews would be ready on that day to avenge themselves on their enemies. The couriers who rode on royal horses went out, hastened and pressed on by the king's command, and the decree was issued in Shushan, the citadel. So Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white, with a crown of gold and a garment of fine linen and purple, and the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. The Jews had light and gladness, joy and honor, and in every province and city, wherever the king's command and decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a holiday. Then many of the people out of the land became Jews because fear of the Jews fell upon them. The first decree was issued on April the 17th. It was about 70 days had passed since Haman had declared war on the Jews. March the 7th, uh, therefore, the people had eight months, they said, to get ready. So self-defense we know isn't a crime, but genocide is definitely a crime. And that's where some of these commentators, I think they have it wrong because they said the Jews just went out and started killing everyone. History doesn't say that. They wrote what they could do unless they were being attacked, could they fight? And that's what they did because they took no uh, acreage from the people they were fighting. And once again, that just shows the goodness of God. I love that verse in John where Jesus says, my father is working and I'm working. They're always working in our behalf. If we just, when hard times come, if we would just settle down 
and remember the goodness of God. And I'm sure all of us have lived long enough to see God do great things in our lives when things were short and, and pressed and hard. He comes through. He comes through because he will always come through. And so if we just wait on him and have confidence in God, he's our rear reward. He goes before us and he's going to protect us because we belong to him. And that's what Esther is finding out. Mordecai knew this and he's finding out. And the Jews in, in these 127 provinces will find this out. And once again, not because they're Jews, right here it was, but if you're a child of God, he's going to do the same for us. We don't have to walk with fear. We don't have to be fearful. We don't have to be full of anxiety. What we have to do is trust in a good God who's brought us through time and time and time again. And that's what he wants us to do. You call that faith. We walk by faith. He's did it once, so he'll do it again. And that's what he, we're learning here. And that's what Mordecai is finding out. And Queen Esther is finding out. So just remember that. Any questions? Is everybody good to go? Rick, you have any questions? Haven't seen you in four or five days. <laughs> I had to do that. Let's pray, you guys. Father, you're such a good God. Lord, you are such a long-suffering God. There's no God like you. You are, that's why when Jesus came down, a little baby in the manger, and then you shepherd us, and a shepherd is always kind. You might have to break a leg sometimes, but you carry that sheep around your neck until he's healed because you want your children to be close to you. You love us. You've shown your love. So, Lord, let us remember that during the day, we might get a bad report. But, Lord, let's remember that you're good. You're a good God. I'm so thankful. Erica's birthday, I'm glad she gets to see 28 years. I'm so thankful for her. And, Lord, just continue to bless her. And bless all those who are sick and hurting, Father God. Pour your spirit out upon them. And I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, our soon and coming King. Amen.